The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. As Colin Cowherd recently said on the air while wrapping up his on-air partnership with Joy Taylor, I am that Jason Barrett Media guy, and this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Good to have you here. I just got back from New Orleans and Baton Rouge, where I had the pleasure of watching LSU on Saturday and the Saints on Sunday. My thanks to Flynn Foster and Gordy Rush of Guarantee Media for the hospitality on Saturday. We're off to Tuscaloosa next week for the Alabama game against Vanderbilt. I'm sure Nick Saban's team will run wild at home, but it should be a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. Speaking of looking forward, on today's episode, I'm excited to welcome to the show the president of New Media and Enterprises for Monumental Sports, Zach Leonsis. If the last name sounds familiar, his family also owns the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards, along with a few other sports properties. Monumental Sports recently acquired NBC Sports Washington. Their arena was also the first to offer in-person sports betting at it. So I think you're going to enjoy learning a little more about Zach and Monumental Sports. That chat is coming up in just a few minutes. Quickly... Tickets for the 2023 BSM Summit are on sale. We've already secured a few sponsorships for the event, and it's common for many to wait until later in the year to secure their seats. I'm not going to tell anyone how to handle their planning, but I will say that it's first come, first serve. So if you want to make sure you're in the room, log on to bsmsummit.com and get your ticket as soon as possible. Let's get into some industry talk. Like most of you, I watched Amazon's Thursday night football debut and had a number of thoughts on it, and it's the focus of this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard. Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now? Years from now, the Kansas City Chiefs and Los Angeles Chargers will be part of NFL trivia when people ask who played the first game on Amazon's Thursday night football broadcast. Putting the game aside, I want to focus on a few broadcasting items. First, if you worried about the stream crashing, that crisis was avoided. Win for Amazon. I know there were a few issues in bars or public spots, but honestly, those were isolated situations. It's like when people get mad they can't watch a game on DirecTV because of bad weather. Many wondered if Amazon would be able to satisfy millions without a bunch of technical problems, and for week one, they did just that. Secondly, I was impressed with the company's strategy promoting its own products and programming. When people see the number $1 billion per year being paid to the NFL for this deal, it sounds insane. But when you consider that Amazon sells commercials during the broadcast and then promotes its own products and shows during that time, the opportunity to make their money back and turn a profit isn't unrealistic. Think about this for a second. 
The opening Monday night football broadcast had an audience of nearly 20 million. The Manning cast that night produced another 1.5 million. So you're talking about 21 to 22 million people watching some form of a football broadcast on the opening Monday night. Mahomes versus Herbert should have been good enough to keep all of those fans tuning in. But let's be fair and say that only half watched the game because it wasn't on free TV or cable. So that's still 10 million. If on average, Amazon generated just $5 per customer, or in this case, viewer, per game, that's 50 million. Their fee per game is 66 to 67 million, which means they really have to make up 16 to 17 million dollars, which, by the way, they'll do by selling commercials, in game sponsorships, and promoting of other programming, which they'll also sell advertising for. They already spend millions on TV to market their own products. 16 to 17 million is nothing to this company. They didn't become a global leader doing foolish business deals. I suspect they're going to do very well with this one, provided, of course, they can deliver on the technical end throughout the rest of the season. Sticking with the business end, I mentioned this on social media Thursday night, but I'll be interested in the future to see what percentage of the audience on Thursday night football stays through the commercial breaks compared to Sunday and Monday night football. That could be a huge selling point for Amazon. I know Peacock and ESPN Plus already run live events, so some of you may have already even thought about this, but when you watch an NFL game with short breaks and you realize a quarter in that the only way to channel surf is to exit the app and go into another one, it puts you in a position to miss the action. You're more likely to stay where you are. Retaining those eyeballs could be big for Amazon, and if it shows up the way I think it could, they could easily make the argument that their viewer means more to an advertiser than what's available on other networks. That was interesting. As far as the play-by-play is concerned, I thought Al Michaels and Kirk Street were rock solid. I know some said it felt weird seeing them together. I know there are people who still think it's odd seeing Kirk call an NFL game And there were times they were technically sound, but not as loose. But formatically, I thought they sounded good. And as the on-air relationship builds, I'm sure they'll become more fun. The only negative I noticed was the music leading them back from breaks constantly was drowning out Al. If they can get those levels worked out, I'm sure they'll be just fine. The pre- and post-game shows, on the other hand, I wasn't crazy about I don't really love the cast the way they've assembled it. It didn't really feel big to me. A lot of the content was also forgettable, but to be fair, you could say that about a lot of pre- and post-shows. I did like Richard Sherman. I thought he was candid, concise, colorful, listened well to the points made by others on the set. But in general, and this will tie into my next point, it was no different than anything else on football television. And I thought Amazon had a shot here to do it differently. Did the pre and post have to be done on the field? Couldn't they have done it in a section, in a hallway portion of the stadium, maybe inside of a sports bar outside the main gate? Heck, live overhead on an Amazon plane or in the back of a flatbed truck branded with Amazon signage? If they wanted to be seen like they were on the same level with CBS, Fox, NBC, and ESPN, I guess you could say they accomplished the goal. But why do the same thing? Amazon had a chance here to innovate and do it differently, 
and have people talking about the changes they put in place, I'm not sure they capitalized on that opportunity. Now, my last point involves the criticism dished out last week by Chris Mandog Russo at the NFL and its owners for putting the game on Amazon. Take a listen to what Mad Dog said, and then I'll weigh in. You know who's happy about the game tonight? The 32 owners who can split a billion. That's who's happy about it. They are the blanks of the world. The bottom line is about the these owners, they don't care where the games are on. And off is sitting there in his flip-flops tonight, still stewing over that loss to the Saints, asking his grandkids, can you find the game with his milk and cookies? And then when a grandkid can't find the game, he's throwing the remote at the TV set. But they doesn't get too mad because he looks at his checkbook and realizes, well, look at that. They gave us a billion for this, the dopes. Look, I love Chris. He's one of my favorite hosts. He was awesome at the BSM Summit. He's a big reason why I got into the business. But he's dead wrong on this one. I understand this point about the game being free and older people not being able to see it. But Chris, it's ironic you're saying this on the airwaves of a satellite radio company, which charges for the opportunity to hear you say it. How is your decision to leave WFAN and Terrestrial Radio for Sirius XM any different? We'd all rather not pay for content and get it all for free, but this is where the world is. Soon it'll be a case of the haves and the have-nots, and in the NFL's case, they're a must-have. Let's just hope we're not soon paying for the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Well done, sir. If you have any thoughts on Amazon's Thursday night football debut, my thoughts on Chris Russo's comments, or if you'd just like to suggest a future guest for the podcast, get in touch by email, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com, or you can find me on one of the socials. Time now to bring you this week's conversation, and it's an honor to welcome the president of New Media and Enterprises for Monumental Sports, Zach Leonsis. We covered a lot during our chat, including the rise of sports betting, the acquisition of NBC Sports Washington, and the challenge of assuring the public that they can trust the media outlet to be fair, despite being owned by team owners. I think you'll enjoy this conversation, so here it is for your listening pleasure. Yo, listen! I've read something that I know a lot of my audience are not going to be aware of, that I just was like, man, that is a... Great conversation starter when you meet someone. Why don't you fill in my audience, Zach? Who the first person was to offer you a beer? Wow, that's amazing that you found that story somewhere on the interwebs. The first person to ever offer me a beer was Michael Jordan. I mean, how do you not hold that? Like every conversation you ever have with someone has got to be, Hey, by the way, who's the first person to offer you a beer? Because the great one offered me one. Like that is <laughs> that's like a conversation you, you hold on in every every facet of life. Yeah. Well, I like everyone else on the planet look up to Michael Jordan as uh, the god that he is, and he is a god not only because he's the greatest athlete of all time, but he's also just an unbelievable person. And, uh, you know, when um, when he was part of the Wizards as uh, in an executive capacity prior to coming back and playing, um, I remember there was the big announcement and uh, he was doing press here at Capital One Arena. And my father um, had a little bit of press to do. And he said, Michael, do you mind if I leave my son with you for a few minutes while I go run and do this? So I had about 25, 30 minutes alone. I was like, you know, 10 years old, just me and, and MJ. 
And uh, yes, Michael offered me a beer. Said, hey, you and now your dad goes and... back after and he's like, why are you offering my kid a beer? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he was joking. Yeah, <laughs> didn't mean it, but yes. Well, that's, let's that's talk the about joke it. That comes out of it. Obviously, when you, you know, you've got a lot on your plate. Your, your company is involved in so many different aspects. So I want to start out by making it simple for those listening. Take me through what a normal week in your world is like, because I'm trying to figure out how you divvy up, where you put your focus when you've got so many different assets to oversee. Well, the, there's no normal week these days. And, um, you know, the, the pandemic certainly wasn't normal. Um, and there hasn't been one pivotal moment in time, quote unquote, post pandemic, where we've just said, oh, everything's flipped back to normal. It's been a gradual transition. It does feel great that we've really transitioned into a, a big rebound year. Um, we really uh, were very happy, obviously, to welcome fans back into our buildings, and they came back in droves. I think people really missed coming to games. Um, you mm-hmm. know, We're in the community building business, and our fan base is a community. I, I vividly remember when we won the Stanley Cup in 2018, and we had over 600,000 people on the National Mall, um, people remember those indelible memories. So everything that we do, um, you know, we want to be fan focused. We want to build um, championship caliber teams that um, have big windows to compete and knock on the door and finally break through. We've certainly done that with Capitals, we did that with the Mystics. We've done it in esports. Um, we think we've got great opportunity to eventually get there in the NBA and have the Win- Wizards be a championship caliber team. Um, we're always focused on trying to build our business into being the biggest, most valuable, most influential sports entertainment platform in the world. And uh, we've got a great big team and organization here. We've got lots of people focused on that mission, but we still got a long ways to go. We've got big ambitions where we think we can take this. Um, and then our third really important goal is uh, doing right by our community. Um, and these are unlike any other businesses on the planet. Um, These are really community assets and people's identities are intertwined with our own team brands. People want to feel good about the teams that they root for. They deserve to feel good about those teams and how those teams are treating their community. We take a lot of pride that, for example, this building is privately owned in downtown Washington, D.C. We stimulate a lot of the economic stimulus around our building, uh, generate a lot of tax revenue, Um, Tomorrow, we're doing a company-wide service event where we're going to be building a Kaboom playground um, at a Virginia-based middle school. Uh, We'll have our players involved. Yesterday, we had a a national sports day uh, with the Embassy of Qatar. And so we've always been trying to focus on what are ways that our, our company can give back and really be integrated with our community as well. So I would say those three pillars Everything falls into all of our day-to-day activities fall within supporting one of those three buckets. You mentioned esports there. And, you know, about a year ago when you got elevated in the company to new president of new media and enterprises, I remember reading that you talked about the growth of sports betting, esports, and blockchain technology being important for the uh for the future growth of the entire industry. And you know, I talk to a bunch of media operators across the country, and many are fully bought in on sports betting. Like, there's not many that you're going to find that don't see where that's going. Esports and blockchain are two different ones. You know, some people see it, some people don't. When when you look at those two in particular, 
uh, becoming a bigger part of the media ecosystem, if you will, and producing larger revenue for companies like your own. How do you see this, you know, being a path forward for brands? Why, why are you bullish and excited about those potential spots? Well, I think if the one of the lessons coming out of the pandemic was that digital really matters. Um, bricks are always going to be important in our business. We're in the business of gathering tens of thousands of people together in person for live events. Um, but clicks matter even more so than ever. And when we think about where the world is going from a content distribution standpoint, um, from a consumer behavior standpoint, people are far more often listening to your podcast, Jason, on mobile than they are via desktop or certainly through other platforms and whatnot. Um, we need to be thinking about where audiences are consuming things. And so, you know, we first started to learn about esports uh, seven or eight years ago now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hadn't picked up a video game controller. You were early that. in it. You were uh, early but, in it before most. But, you know, I, I saw this and I thought, this is bizarre. I can't imagine that, you know, people would pack an arena to watch people play video games. Um, but it was so much more than that as I really earnestly tried to investigate and learn. And I came in as a newbie. I had no idea what I was talking about, what I was, what, what I was supposed to think here. And I met with several dozen people across the industry from publishers to blue chip brands, advertising the space, team owners, team operators, um, tournament organizers, um, media networks. And what I found was an incredibly organic and quickly growing community. And we're in the community business, kind of like I mentioned at the start of this podcast. And all the people who I met with were deeply engaged. They were playing these games for several hours a day. And they were able to play for four, five, six hours a day, not just because, well, it was a form of entertainment. It was fun. But really, it was their way of socializing. Yep. I think a lot of gaming is as much of a social media platform as it is a form of entertainment. You know, kids are coming home, putting on headphones and playing Fortnite with each other. And that's how they're keeping up with each other. When I was, you know, in grade school, I'd come home and be in a chat room or on instant messenger with friends or whatnot. Yep. Um, times have changed, obviously. And so I also saw a huge community, um, I, I think, particularly locally, too, that were gaming fans and not fans of traditional sports. And, you know, we want to be relevant to all different audiences. I also thought there's a ton that professional sports can learn from esports and vice versa. I think we've really worked hard to help professionalize esports up to sort of a, a quote unquote major league level. And there are some things that esports does in terms of interactivity with fans, how they distribute content, um, how they present themselves, their players and the brands that I think that pro sports teams can kind of get out of their shell and, and move closer towards as well. So we found this great team called Team Liquid, which we've been longtime investors in now. We're going into our eighth year on Team Liquid when they were at a $10 million valuation. We raised uh, money earlier in the year at a $400 million valuation. Mm -hmm. So we've seen great growth and we've invested in additional businesses, including Epic Games, which publishes Fortnite, Niantic, um, which is the leader in AR video game technology and the like. Um, we were an evangelist at the NBA and in the NHL level. We've done a Caps gaming initiative on the Caps side. Um, we're one of the 24 teams in the NBA 2K League. We won uh, two back-to-back Trophies won back-to-back uh, -back championships in the NBA 2K League in 2020 and 2021. And we're building a brand new facility focused on esports, 15,000 square foot 
um, you know, 400 person theater, restaurant experience, training facility that we're really excited to open in January. And we've seen similar growth, obviously, in blockchain. Blockchain has hit a little bit of a, a bump in the road, I would say, just as the larger market has. Do you get here. nervous at all with some of the cryptocurrency situations the last couple of months? I think it was, I don't want to say destined to happen, but clearly there's a lot of volatility there. Clearly there's a lot of figuring out how this should work in the long run. Um, you know, I think the NFT space has certainly cooled off a little bit too. I do think there's a future for blockchain in a more stable environment um, that will become more normalized and commonplace. I mean, think about just the development of Bitcoin and how relevant the, the brand of Bitcoin is today compared to previously uh, and whatnot. I wouldn't be encouraging everyone to put all their money into Bitcoin. Or anything <laughs> like that. But it, it, it's going to become a part of people's portfolio. You're going to want an allocation towards a more aggressive or you know, higher risk, but aggressive and potential more upside asset and whatnot. But I think perhaps what's more interesting are all the applications that blockchain can provide outside of, say, cryptocurrency. Blockchain mm -hmm. itself is a useful tool for a variety of other reasons. Applying ticketing um, and many other sort of forms of authentication are really important. We're investors in a company called Clear. You're, you know Clear from airports and entering arenas yep. and whatnot, making sure you can authenticate identity and who you are you know, blockchain being able to do that on items, I think, is critically important in the future. You guys were the first to put a sports book inside of an arena. And I remember at the time when when your dad announced that he had talked about it becoming the natural home for sports books, arenas that, of course, around the world in the future. I, I'm curious, since you guys went down that path and started doing business that way, what you've learned from it and how it's ultimately helped you guys grow business the last year and a half. Well, we've enjoyed a fantastic partnership with uh, Caesar Sportsbook. The book is literally two floors below me, 25,000 square feet experience. Um, Guy Fieri is going to be joining the uh, Sportsbook experience downstairs as sort of the celebrity chefs uh, this fall. So we're excited to, to debut that. It, again, with the pandemic, it was an interesting debut. We debuted it when we still had restrictions in 2020. Yeah. And um, we were blown away by the handle that was driven through this one physical location. And I think Caesars was incredibly pleasantly surprised and excited about the results as well. And now that we're entering our first full season, um, that's normal. Um, we have a, a normal off season leading up to it. Um, it's really exciting for us to think about all the different things that we can capitalize during live games, but also outside the live game window. You know, of course, people are going to be filling our building during live games and the sports book is packed during those experiences. But we'd really like to start to get a little bit more um, invested into uh, the non-live game window. Why can't every NFL Sunday be the best day at the sports book downstairs, you know, at Premier League Saturday mornings, big title fights. Um, we want to be capitalizing on that and making sure people understand that this is the best place to watch these events in the entire Mid-Atlantic. People like watching sporting events surrounded by the energy of people around them. I think one of the most popular weekends to visit Las Vegas is during the first weekend of March Madness. Yep. You know, and it, the, the excitement there is palpable. And I think we can recreate that here in the Mid-Atlantic. 
and eventually potentially grow it into parts of our arena bowl and leverage our center hung display and other LED experiences to really create a cool best in class concept here. You mentioned, you know, having the partnership with Caesars and you look at TV and radio advertising, sports books are all over the place. It's a red hot category. It's really important for the media business. At the same time, over the last five years, we're seeing a migration. Those sports books are not just advertisers anymore. They're now content brands. You look at what FanDuel's doing, DraftKings, Caesars, you know, a, a lot of these brands are getting involved in content. They're attaching themselves to talent that they think can help bring new customers into the fold to ultimately help them grow their business. As you look at Monumental, because now you're in the TV business, how do you see sports betting fitting into your ecosystem? Do you want to be in a content space there or do you want to be in a partnership and let everyone else worry about the content? I think that uh, there's definitely a school of thought that all brands should think of themselves as media businesses, as content businesses. Um, you know, you're creating your own media company when you're distributing a newsletter or, you know, when you're distributing a podcast, when yep. you're uh, producing video and the like. And in order to drive engagement, you really do need to provide context and interest, um, build storylines and the like. And, you know, when we built the Caesar Sportsbook in conjunction with Caesars downstairs, uh, we made sure to include a small studio. Um, and we've been producing a daily show out of the Sportsbook downstairs to pr produce on our OTT network. I certainly en envision in the future um, expanding upon um, that programming need. But also, you know, we've already experimented with our RSN prior to acquiring it, um, you know, some alternate gaming feeds. And, um, you know, right now, television is mostly a one-way conversation. You watch what's presented to you on a channel. And I think that in the future, um, you know, we'll see more two-way experiences. I think that's an advantage of digital and being able to personalize how do you want to watch? What kind of experience do you want when you yep. watch? Not everybody's interested in betting and that's perfectly fine. They want the traditional experience or they want a children's version of the game or they want the Manning cast version of the game, which I love watching. That's how I like to watch Monday Night Football now. Um, but there are people who are really interested in betting and want the latest information and want to use data as really part of their experience. Um, and I think that there's going to be a time and place and room to provide that moving forward. I mentioned that you guys have acquired NBC Sports Washington, which, of course, doesn't make you just a sports owner anymore. Now you're a media brand. You're running television. That being said, I know you pay attention. The RSN model has been under some pressure in recent years. Um, as, as you look at it, you know, and leaping into the TV business, I don't think you get into it if you don't believe it's going to be additive to your business. What about this opportunity made it the right fit? And what do you feel needs to change for the RSN model to work better going forward? Sure. Um, I, I think it's been, um, you know, well cataloged, the pressure that's grown on the RSN business moving forward. Um, we also are strong believers in the value of our rights and the ability to control our destiny moving forward into the future. Um, you know, live sports rights has been an important staple um, keeping uh, cable subscribership together. Um, we have tonnage of programming too across multiple major league teams. Um, and we really have a fantastic market um, that is affluent, highly educated, highly wired and young. We're yep. one of the youngest communities in the country here in Washington, DC in the greater Washington region. 
And so, you know, the ability to create a more cohesive experience across all of our touch points with fans, um, our ability to leverage our database um, and create more direct to consumer relationships, I, I think is really, really important. And we think there's going to be a lot more that we can do with our programming and many more ways to distribute it in the future. We're excited to get there. You mentioned some of the, you know, the opportunities with rights and obviously sports is, you know, the FOMO example, fear of missing out. It's it's one of those still important parts of programming that fans have to experience live. You can't DVR it. Um, that being said, I mean, you look at when you were talking about some of the things of, you know, distributing your different touch points, cable companies with some of these other teams, like I've seen it in Denver, New York, and LA, they almost look at you like, okay, you've got the teams and now you've got programming. So what can we do to make your life miserable if you want to reach, reach your fans? How do you make sure that you're keeping the peace with the cable companies? Cause you do need the distribution. And then it's a, you know, an ongoing dialogue and it doesn't get to a place because I'm sure you want fans to consume the Wizards, consume the Capitals, and consume all of your products. But obviously, you've got to have a partner in that equation, too. Um, well, as you can imagine, I, I, you know, networks don't typically discuss their distribution agreements. We have fantastic partners. One of our biggest partners is Comcast and Xfinity, who are acquiring the business from. Um, we've got a fantastic fan base. And obviously, we're looking to continue distribution in the future. And uh, I think we'll partner with distributors on lots of different formats and business um, partnerships in the future. So we're excited to engage. One aspect I find really interesting is you guys have built a strong digital platform with your teams over the last few years. A lot of content there, as you alluded to a moment ago. What have you learned from running a digital network that you feel could be applied to the linear TV business? Well, we have launched our own OTT streaming network with some of our, um, you know, teams like the WNBA Mystics, our Capital City Go Go, our G League team, esports, high school. Um, it's been instructive in terms of what fans like to watch, uh, what prompts users to subscribe, um, how people discover content, um, how we drive app downloads, how we convert um, users into super users. Um, you know what how seasonality plays a role in viewership and subscribership and the like. And so we have a lot of key learnings. I think it's, it's helped us really drive our database. Um, and it's certainly going to be instructive as we begin to contemplate building out our next generation digital platform in the future. Now, I know all ownership groups are different. You guys have obviously built a strong connection in your community. You're in a community, though. I pay a lot of attention to the sports radio space. And I remember when Red Zebra existed under Dan Snyder, there was a lot of friction in the market about team owner owns a brand, and there was obviously a lot of turmoil with fans. What happened there has no connection to what you guys do, but if you're a fan in Washington, D.C., you're probably going to go, okay, how do I make sure that I'm still going to get the, the candid opinions, the the not the team spin when the team isn't playing well? How do you guys make sure that you, you know, keep that confidence high with the local consumer, given that they've seen it work the other way in the past? Well, you know, I think we typically do like to be first movers in lots of spaces. We're talking about sports betting, we're talking about esports, things like that. Um, we're actually not a first mover in this regard. Yep. Um, there is great precedent for other teams owning and operating their 
networks very effectively. And uh, Madison Square Garden is a great example. The Yes Network is a great example. Nesson is a great example. Yep. We have a great example in our own backyard in Madison. And so um, I think we can lean into precedent. And I also think we realize that we have a really smart and educated fan base. You're not fooling anyone uh, <laughs> exactly. by a certain way. Um, I think our focus is on objectivity and playing the ball where it lies. And hey, there are going to be some days where we play great and we blow another team out. We should celebrate that. And there are going to be other times where we hang up a stinker. And yep. uh, hey, you know, when we lose games, we're not happy either. Maybe that's that shouldn't be like the dirty little secret for fans. But right. you know, we're not happy when we miss the playoffs. We're not happy when we lose a game. We're definitely not happy when we get blown out. Um, but you know, if you, if, if we were to say that we were unhappy after every loss, well, there'd be turmoil, right? <laughs> we need to have some sort of stability. So we, we do a good job of maintaining that. So our focus is going to be on objectivity, calling the ball where it lies and leading into precedence. I think that other organizations have done it very, very well, and we'll be thoughtful in our approach. So obviously you're now in video and you've got the teams and, you know, here we are, we're doing a podcast. And if you look around, you see the growth of podcasting, audio is rising, the revenues for digital audio are rising, radio is still pretty healthy, even though it hasn't necessarily been a big growth business, it still produces a lot of revenue. And I just look around the example in Denver, Altitude's got a radio component that works with their TV, they could go to the market with those play-by-play rights and say, How'd you like to be associated on the field, on radio and on TV? You guys in your market, you have a relationship with Odyssey. You carry your games through the fan and through Team 980, um, you know, and you've got a lot of projects going on. So I'm sure you're probably not worrying about running a radio station tomorrow or launching a digital podcast network to, tomorrow. But is audio a, a part of the future media mix when you look at how you want to grow your business long term? Well, audio has been a consistent part of our business for a long, long time. I think a lot of uh, listenership is very strong and we have full-time employees dedicated to producing uh, radio programming or, or, or digital, digitally streamed audio programming. We've launched several podcasts and our network has separately launched several podcasts mm-hmm. because everyone understands that it's a really practical and accessible medium um, for you know everyday moments in people's lives, their commutes, their their workout, their morning run, their coffee break, whatever it might yep. be, it it fits really nicely into people's day. So I think it's going to con- continue to be very important. Um, you know, last time I checked, there aren't any sticks available in the Mid Atlantic, so <laughs> we uh, it, it hasn't been on our radar. And obviously, there's a limited set, but um, you know, we're always open minded. And, um, you know, we have some great radio partners today. So, you know, we're, we're very pleased with, with how we're situated currently. I think, you know, it's like anything. There's always a conversation if it makes sense down the road. But you guys have the content, the product. And that's, you know, really where it starts. If you've got an audience and then you can monetize it, then obviously it's going to make sense. I want to ask you, as you guys start to assume and really get your arms around the NBC Sports Washington product. Will fans notice a quick change to what you guys do with it? Or do you see this being more of a slow introduction to new ideas, new visual presentation and that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, I think that the upcoming season will feel pretty similar to Capitals and Wizards fans. Um, We're operating on a, a transition services agreement that will allow us to leverage and 
use the same brand, the same digital experiences, uh, the same production facilities and studio spaces and the like, it would be unrealistic for us to be able to stand up so many of our own solutions starting day one. Mm -hmm. um, we will be working diligently in background on what does that new experience look like in the future? And I think that fans can anticipate that ahead of the 23-24 season to see some really big differences. You said earlier about you know how digital now has a two-way relationship with the consumer and a lot of current broadcast, radio, TV is all at you. Do you think when, when you touch on some of the things that we will pay attention to in 23-24, is that a priority for you? I think there are great ways that we can be great partners to distributors and enhancing the experience for cable subscribers. I think there are great ways that we can interact with our fans otherwise via digital. Um, I think that people do like interactivity. I think that people do like choice. Um, I think that people do like personalized opportunities. And, uh, you know, we've got some ideas in mind that I think, um, you know, will be new concepts. There'll be things that people will be um, enjoying for the very first time. And I'm excited to share some of those things and um, helping our fan base even get smarter and smarter and smarter about our teams, our game, and our league. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at SportsRadioPD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.